Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win, and support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. You're listening to The Contest and Me, a podcast from the Euro Trip. Hello and welcome to a brand new episode of the Euro Trip. It's the contest and me. It's James and it's Rob. James and Rob, yeah, getting emotional because it's <laughs> nearly the end of the season, James. It is the penultimate episode of the contest and me for 2023. We're, we're almost there. We've been rattling through this series. It seems just two minutes ago since we started it when both you and I sat down with each other to discuss... Eurovision going through our lives and then we've had a, a great array of guests over the series following us and we've got another one uh, lined up today another one we should say from Sweden is that three in a row that is three in a row we're completing the Swedish hat trick on the podcast today which as I think I said last week I think is only fair given that the contest is of course heading to Sweden in 2024 but this is a guest that you probably won't have heard you won't have heard her speak anyway probably and you probably won't know her name unless you live in Sweden. She is Carolina Norren, and she is, effectively, Sweden's... I was going to say she's Sweden's Graham Norton, but she's Sweden's Graham Norton on the radio. So Carolina Norren is the Eurovision commentator for Swedish radio. Basically, Sweden's biggest radio station, Carolina, describes all the action at the Eurovision Song Contest. And she's also a massive name over in Sweden as well, big radio presenter over there. So it was brilliant to get her on and get her thoughts all about the Eurovision Song Contest. And you can find out which question prompted this reaction from her. <laughs> so it's one. <laughs> that is just the perfect example of what's to come because she is just so much fun, isn't she? She is so much fun. She's a little bit mad, but in like a wonderful way. So we've got all that and more still to come. Yes, indeed. Loads to come from Carolina a little bit later on. We'll be asking her all the same questions we've been asking all the guests here on this series to find out loads about her journey through Eurovision in that commentary box. But Rob, we're, uh, we're getting ever closer to the end of September, which means we're getting ever closer to the start of October, 
and a big life event for you. Are, are we allowed to mention it? We've not discussed it much. I, I do want to touch on it, though. I don't think we've mentioned it much on the podcast, but yeah, James, you are right. Rewind here on the Eurotrip. We'll be back. Later. <laughs> That's not what you were talking about, was it? It's not. It's your wedding. It is my wedding. Yeah, I was just saying to you before we start recording, when we started the contest in me this year, we knew that it was going to be about eight weeks long. So eight episodes, which it will be by the time we get to our final episode next week, which meant that when we started the contest in me, my wedding was still at least two months away. My wedding is now two weeks away, James, which is <laughs> an equal part terrifying and exciting. I just can't believe it's come around so quickly. And I think I should also say, just to mic your card, everybody listening, that does mean that we will be taking a couple of weeks off after next week's episode. But I think getting married is a reasonable enough excuse. I'd like to think so. If we get any complaints, then... (laughs) (laughs) Are you going to have anything Eurovision themed at the wedding? I've not actually asked you this. So genuinely, genuine question. I don't know the answer. Is there any Eurovision theme running through the wedding? I think if I'd have had sole control of the wedding, there would have been significantly more than there is. But it features enough. It features when it needs to feature. Let's let's put it like that. So when you're there, when you're boogieing away in the evening, you might be might be a Eurovision hit or two. Maybe. I hope there will be anyway. <laughs> well, your your wife to be has scratched them all off the list. You've submitted a list and then she's come in with some some recommendations. Get rid of that. Get rid of that. Get rid of that. And probably replace them all with Taylor Swift. So yeah, maybe. <laughs> That's probably exactly what's happened. But uh, but yeah, terrifyingly, I get married in two weeks. So yeah, we'll be taking a short break after next week's episode. But James, a busy week in the world of Eurovision. And I should say as well, I can't just drop it like that and then not reference it again. We are bringing back Rewind, aren't we? In a few weeks' time, after our little break, we'll be returning for uh, the Eurotrip's Rewind series, where we look back at classic editions of the Eurovision Song Contest. We did it last year. It was a lot of fun. We're going to bring it back. Yeah, so we get to chat to people who were there, people who were watching it. In fact, just yesterday, Rob, you can't see them, but I did get them out yesterday. Some of the, some of the books that I used to, to research, some of the classic contests. So I just got them out yesterday, just started to flick through them to find out some, some juicy stories and that sort of thing. So yes, Rewind is on the horizon. We've got our list as well. We know what years we're going to be doing. Me and you came up with a list in the pub when you were mm-hmm. down a couple of weeks ago. So yeah, after a few pints, we came up with a list, we collated them, and hopefully you'll appreciate every single edition of the contest we'll be revisiting later on this year. And you can tell that you wrote them down after being in the pub because one of the years you wrote down was 1938. So I really don't (laughs) think we're going to be doing that one. (laughs) The pre-war contest that no one knows about. (laughs) Anyhow, you mentioned that it's been a busy week in Eurovision. Well, it sort of sort of has. Of course, junior Eurovision is on the horizon, so a lot of countries are are doing their 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 dealings. Their dealings, you know what I mean. Their their choosings uh, <laughs> for for the contest. They're selecting their artist. I think is what That's you're after. That's the phrase. That's the phrase. Um, so obviously, a lot of that is happening. But also, countries are choosing their artists for Eurovision itself next May because. Earlier this week, we got artist number two. Belgium have already chosen. They did so. Uh, when was that? I feel like, oh, it must have been on holiday. So end of August or sometime. Yeah, not that long ago. Uh, but now we have artist number two. It is for Cyprus. It is Celia Capsis, uh, which is actually another Australian-born artist for Cyprus. They did so last year with Andrew Lamru, And now they're doing it again uh, with, with Celia Capsis. 
So it's a, a clever way to keep Australia in the contest if they, if they don't actually get the ticket to compete in 2024. I'd planned on saying something really clever here, like Cyprus not to send a female girl bop challenge, but then have just remembered they literally sent Andrew Lambrew mm. last year. So what am I talking about? But do you know what? What is going to be so great about Cyprus next year, at least I hope so anyway, is that the song is being co-written or produced uh, by Demetrius Kontopoulos, who is a tremendous songwriter, has been involved in so many great Eurovision songs uh, over the last maybe 15 or, or 20 years or so. So I feel like... The, the, slight, the slight pause there is James attempting to find the six on stage page. I, I've, just, I've already got it open. I'm... We find out. No, you haven't. You didn't have it open. That pause was used. Either you were trying to get it open or you were attempting to find the right tab on your laptop. That's what you were trying to do there. No, it, no, it was already over. I took the slight pause was me trying to work out because I think his first song was in two thousand seven. It's me trying to work out just how long ago that was, and it was too. It was far longer ago than I care to admit. That was me trying to. So. Fifteen years? No, more than that. Exactly. It makes you think, doesn't it? It's it's longer ago than you, than you care to imagine. But yeah, he was involved with uh, Natalia Gordienko's Sugar in 2021. Uh, he did uh, both of Sergei Lazarev's songs for, for, for Russia in 2019 and 2016. If you think of a song that has done well in Eurovision over the last 15 years or so, he's probably been involved. And I don't know the answer to this, but you mentioned his first one was 2007. So I'm going to guess which song he did in 2007, purely going off the songs that you've just mentioned. He also wrote in 2007. Did he do Greece? Did he Yasu Maria for Sarbel? No, he didn't. He did Work in Magic for Belarus. Oh, what a what an absolute classic that is by um Dimitri Koldun. Very well done. Yeah, Thank so he's 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 been involved in some great Eurovision songs. So to have him involved is is a great is a great thing uh, for Cyprus next year. You're listening to the Euro Trip with Rob Lilly and James Rowe. Like what you're hearing? Make sure to leave us a review and a rating whenever you're listening. So you are listening to The Contest in Me from us here at the Eurotrip podcast. Caroline Oren, Swedish radio Eurovision commentator, on the way very, very shortly. She is so much fun, so make sure you stay there. James, we have to say, and this is from me and from you and I'm sure from everybody listening to this, Best wishes go out to Danny, of course, the lead singer of Voyager, the Australian band who represented Australia at the Eurovision Song Contest earlier on this year. Now he's being diagnosed with stage four cancer. They have performed their last show, the band that they're going to perform for uh, for a while until Danny recovers. So all the best to Danny from Voyager, from all of us, from me, from you and, and everyone here at the Eurotrip. Because everyone in Voyager is so friendly, so lovely. It was brilliant to catch up with him in Liverpool and before the contest as well. So yeah, all the best to, to Danny and, and fingers crossed your recovery goes really well. Yeah, absolutely. That goes without saying, yeah, best wishes to him and his family and his friends, of course. Now, Rob, before we get to Carolina, she's just around the corner. She's she's at the door, knocking, ready to come in. We're ready to hear from her. Uh, but before we hear from her, shall we hear from some of you listening at home? Well... You say some of you listening at home, James, but this week I bring you an exciting email from Denmark. So this comes in from the team behind the inaugural, the first ever Copenhagen Eurovision pre-party. Ooh, have you got a new one? 
I've got a new one. Uh, this makes it sound like I'm the only person that knows about it. I don't know. Maybe other people have heard about this. But we were lucky enough to get an exclusive piece of information here at the podcast. So I'll read the start of the email. Dear Eurotrip podcast team, I believe that's me and you. And everybody <laughs> listening, of course, because I'm now reading it out on the podcast. I'd like to share the news with your podcast and with your listeners. We are pleased to kick off the Copenhagen Eurovision party on the eve of the turquoise carpet event. Just a 20-minute ride away, 20-minute train ride, I should clarify, from the Malmo Arena, host of the Eurovision Song Contest. The Copenhagen Eurovision party, which is cleverly named, James, Malmo Hagen, see what they've done there, is both augmented and adapted for Euro fans and rest of the world visitors for Eurovision 2024. <laughs> and it uh, goes on to say there'll be live voting. Uh, on the Eurovision 2024 videos, it'll be in a plush venue. More details to come. And uh, yeah, there'll be there'll be all sorts of people there. And yeah, the team that are putting this on have also organised some great Eurovision pre-parties in other countries in the past. So there's a new Eurovision pre-party for your calendar there. That's the Copenhagen Eurovision pre-party, which uh, might be music to your ears if you are, as I know many people are, staying in Copenhagen for Eurovision 2024. That's the thing, isn't it? You know, if you're going to go to Malmo next year, you've got Copenhagen, uh, what was it, 15 or 20 minute train ride away? 20 minutes on the train. Yeah, across the bridge. So yeah, you've probably got best of both worlds. You know, if you end up staying in Copenhagen, you've probably got Eurovision stuff on your doorstep too. And I've also not mentioned this to you yet, but I did see your friend of mine, Ben Robertson, posting about this on his social medias the other day. Uh, yes, Rob- I saw ben- this. Yes. Ben, Rob- ben Robertson, <laughs> for those of you that don't know, he is uh, a writer over at ESC Insight, does some great stuff over at the Bet Eurovision podcast as well. He posted a link to a campsite. James, do you want to stay in a tent? Do you know what? Absolutely, I do. I don't. I don't. <laughs> oh, I don't no anything way. worse. <laughs> We'll bring a caravan along. Will you stay in that? I'll stay in a caravan. I need I need firm walls. That's what I need. <laughs> anyway, speaking of Sweden, let's get to today's guest on the contest and me. Yes, indeed. So this is Carolina Norren. We've already mentioned her. She is Swedish radio's commentator for the Eurovision Song Contest. So for all of the people across Sweden who choose to listen to the Eurovision Song Contest rather than watch it on TV, they will hear Carolina's voice. She's a big deal over in Sweden. She presents one of their biggest music programs. And she has been commentating on the Eurovision Song Contest for Sweden, for Swedish radio, since 1999. Which does mean that, as we will uncover during my chat, she has commentated on not one, not two, not three, but now four Swedish Eurovision wins in that time. I I did think for a moment you were going to say, she hasn't commentated on just one Eurovision song contest, not two, not three. (laughs) (laughs) But she is so much fun. So we're going to get to it now. She is a great time. She caught up with me from her studio in Stockholm. And I started by, of course, welcoming her to the podcast and then getting her thoughts on Eurovision 2023. Oh, it was really nice. And I must say that in Liverpool, it was uh, the whole town was Eurovision. You could really uh, see that it was Eurovision all over the place. Uh, and that was great, <laughs> being a Eurovision fan. And the competition, I thought that uh, the the UK did a really good job. Uh, good hostesses, uh, Hannah Waddingham, Alicia Dixon, uh, Julia Sanina. Uh, perhaps, uh, 
I know that a lot of people in, in, in Sweden said, oh, wasn't Graham Norton going to be more on the show? Because he's quite big here in Sweden. Uh, so we missed a little bit. We, we would have loved to see more of Graham. Uh, but otherwise, I mean, it was um, douze point for the UK. Did uh, did you still get to see a bit of Graham? Did Graham make an appearance in the commentary briefing or, or does he not turn up for the commentator's briefing like the rest of you? Actually, I met him at the coffee machine. <laughs> and I I always, I go up to Graham and I say, hi, hello, I'm a big fan and I have to take this, you know, uh, selfie with Graham. And I always have these weird selfie pictures with Graham from different uh, parts of the world where the Eurovision uh, go. Uh, but uh, amongst the com- Commentators, uh, I think, because he was he was also being filmed quite a lot. So, uh, I and I had my booth a little bit uh, away, and it was quite heavy security. So we didn't actually meet amongst the uh, the commentary booths. But there's always a commentary lounge uh, where the coffee machine is, and that's the best place to to talk to the different commentators uh, and get uh, some gossip and you know who's talking about what. So it's a commentary lounge. I remember the last time we spoke, you said the worst thing about being a commentator at Eurovision is when nobody wants to talk to you. And that's when you know that your song won't do very well. But of course, (laughs) I mean, this year, 2023... You must have had so many conversations. People must have not wanted to stop talking to you. Yeah, it was amazing. <laughs> it was really amazing. But we had this uh, com- competition from from Finland. <laughs> so I can say it was, everybody was talking about Lorraine and Tattoo. And they were talking about Finland. And also because uh, the guy who did the choreography for Finland, he was Swedish. And he also hang, was hanging with our Swede- Swedes. So everybody Everybody was uh, amongst the Swedish delegation discussing, will it be Finland, will it be Sweden? But amongst the others, they were so sure Sweden will win. (laughs) So it was almost like the competition was over before it even had started, if you know what I mean. And and Finland came in as a dark horse and um, it was a very, very special uh, competition in that way because it felt like Sweden (laughs) was the winner already when we came to Liverpool, if you understand what I mean. You have commentated on and have been lucky enough to commentate on many previous Swedish Eurovision wins at the Eurovision Song Contest. I mean, I'm trying to think how many now. 99, which was your first one, I think, which of course we'll get to. Yeah. And and then uh, 2012, of course, 2015, and then again 2023. So this would have been your fourth Swedish Eurovision win. <laughs> yeah, and it's uh, it's so lovely when you win, but you also know as a commentator that when you your country wins, you will have no sleep that night. <laughs> so it's like, okay, now we are we won again and I won't sleep anything during this night because I'm doing interviews and you're doing, you know, uh, sending reports back home. Uh, it's a very special feeling, uh, but I can say it was... Uh, even weirder in Baku when Lorian won 2012 because uh, the time, the change of, you know, the, the lap of time. So when she won, I think it was three o'clock 
uh, in the morning and then it was a press conference at four or five and the interviews. And then after that, I remember in the morning we all uh, from the Swedish delegation went back to the hotel and had breakfast to celebrate <laughs> uh, Sweden with. It was very weird, you know, and then everybody was asleep during uh, the day. Uh, not Lorian because she did a lot of interviews and it was uh, the same for Lorian this year. But uh, I think she <laughs> had some hours of sleep at least during the night. Well, Carolina, I'm sure those previous four Swedish Eurovision wins that you've commentated on will come up plenty during our our conversation. Let's go back to the very, very start for you then. The first question that we have to ask all of our guests on the contest and me, our listeners will know this by now. What was your, or what is your, indeed, very first memory of the Eurovision Song Contest? My first memory... uh... 1974, <laughs> ABBA, <laughs> and uh, it's not only because I'm I'm Swedish. I would have loved ABBA from whatever country I could have come from, and it was not just that ABBA won. It was that the clothes, uh, and ABBA came with something new. It was not only the music. And I'm very interested in in clothes as well, and I thought that. Agneta's uh, outfit, her blue trousers <laughs> were gorgeous. I wanted to have Agneta's blue trousers and I thought they were so cool. And I don't really, I was nine, nine or nine, yeah, nine years old when I saw them. And it changed my life, <laughs> this Eurovision uh, in Brighton. And since ABBA, I've been following this every year either at home and then uh, from 99 when I started commenting, uh, doing the commentary for Swedish Radio. Wow. And we move now across into Sweden, the largest of the Scandinavian countries. And although we're looking at streets, it's a country full of mountains, lakes and forests. And of course, it's full of blonde Vikings. And uh, this is one of the reasons why it's good for pictures. These are the ABBA group, born Frida, Anna, who's just beside her with the long blonde hair, and Benny. Uh, if you can work that out, that's why they're called Abba, because in fact it's Benny born Annie Fried and Anna. Their song is called... Oh, and it's Napoleon. Napoleon, no wonder their song is called Waterloo. This is Sven Olaf Waldorf, who's really entered into the spirit of it all, dressed as Napoleon, waiting for Waterloo by Abba for Sweden. Watch this one. I know you said that you were only nine when ABBA won Eurovision, but I've always wanted to know what it was actually like being in Sweden when ABBA won Eurovision. Was ABBA fever, was ABBA mania at its peak then, or is it Eurovision that that meant that ABBA became so big? The, The thing is, here in Sweden, when ABBA won the Eurovision, uh, there was uh, a political uh, climate in Sweden where uh, popular music, commercial music was not the coolest thing <laughs> among a lot of people. And so it, we who love the Eurovision and ABBA, um, it wasn't something you actually said. It was a bit shameful to say, I love ABBA. If you weren't a small kid, as a small kid, you could do that. 
And everybody who was small kids, uh, especially girls at that time, they wanted, you know, to to pretend to to sing in front of the mirror as either Agneta or Frida. Um, but it it took quite a while for ABBA here in Sweden to be uh, regarded the way they are now. I know I I, I was doing. Um, a documentary uh, about Swedish music and I went back, you know, in the archives here at the Swedish Radio and I found not, almost not, no interviews at all. I found the comment, com- the, 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 the broadcast from Brighton when they won and the person commentating, she also said Abbas name wrong. She called the group Abbas <laughs> because she thought it was a dance band, <laughs> you know, a, a, a band uh, where you have uh, dance band is a very special Swedish thing. You go to a a, a place where you dance, you know, with a partner. Uh, it's called dance band. It's, it's a typical Swedish thing. Anyway, so uh, ABBA was not looked upon as cool here in Sweden until they uh, gave up their career, and we had some years, and then we went. Oh my God, Abba, they were great. What happened? Why didn't we love them when we should? So it came this change in Sweden that we, well, I loved Abba all the time. But in general, Abba is much, much, much bigger in Sweden now than they were when they were big, you know, and had these huge successes in, in, in Europe or in Australia, around the world, in America. But here in Sweden... It wasn't big at that time, actually. It was a very long, com- uh, complicated answer for you, but uh, perhaps you get the, the vibe of it. I can talk about ABBA all day, every day, Carolina, so that is absolutely <laughs> fine. Don't worry about that. I, I'm going to sidestep quickly before we move on to the next question, which is, of course, you know, we will be celebrating 50 years, I think, of ABBA's Eurovision win uh, next year, when the contest is, of course, again in Sweden. We've heard from Benny and Bjorn and, and you know Agneta and Frida. They've kind of said, "Oh, we're not going to do it, or we are going to be involved." Like, you know, what what do we think is going to happen? Do we think Abba are going to be involved in some way? I mean, Benny and Bjorn were, of course, involved in some way when the contest was in Malmo uh, in 2013, writing the theme. Yeah, I think that uh, they they get this question a lot, uh, especially now when Agneta is releasing new material. I tried to to ask her <laughs> songwriter the other way around. I said, Jürgen, uh, do you know what Agneta is doing in my, May <laughs> next year? <laughs> Has she booked her trip to Malmö yet? <laughs> and he said, no comment. <laughs> so it's <laughs> everybody asks them that. But I would like to say like this with ABBA, uh, they can surprise you, as you've noticed, with suddenly new material and other things. And I wouldn't be surprised if they did something, but you never know what. Uh, And I can also say that I think that the people arranging it here in Sweden will absolutely do what they can to to try to persuade them. But we don't know. Nobody knows at, at this time. Carolina, the next question, and it may be the very same thing. It may have been ABBA in 1974. But the next question is, what was the moment that you fell in love with the Eurovision Song Contest? So you've got your first memory, which you said was 1974. But the moment you really fell in love with the contest. 
Now, actually, it was two years later when Sweden didn't participate. Uh, it sounds a bit weird. Uh, well, the love story started 1974 with ABBA. Uh, but 1976, as I mentioned, these political, the political climate didn't, wasn't always in favor for commercial music. And also they wanted to um, not, uh, uh, they wanted to, to think about the economy. So Sweden didn't participate in the Eurovision Song Contest. It was a very black year for a Eurovision fan in Sweden. Uh, and they didn't even show the Eurovision on television. So I remember that's when I found out that you could listen to the Eurovision in the radio. So my family and I, we sat at home in our living room. Uh, it felt, you know, like it was in the beginning of the 20th century or something, listening to Eurovision Song Contest on the radio. And my mother, she was so upset. She had written a long, long letter to the head of Swedish television, protesting how could they do this to the Swedish people not showing the Eurovision Song Contest. So I think what happened that night in that living room in front of the radio was that the rebel inside of me awoke <laughs> and felt like I have to... <laughs> to uh, do something here and I will defend this competition to my dying days. And uh, so that's where the love story really began for me with Eurovision. What is it like? Um, and this is a weird question to ask you, given that you are now the person describing the Eurovision Song Contest on the radio in Sweden. But what what was it like listening on the radio do you kind of listen in silence is it a bit like when you watch on the telly and you can't have a conversation or if someone tries to talk during the song you tell them to be quiet what what was it like <laughs> we were sitting i remember it was also dark in the room <laughs> so uh, um, perhaps we had snacks or something but it was we were very concentrated very, very concentrated. And I remember that the rest of the family, they sort of dropped off when we knew who won. But I just sat there by myself in the dark. I wanted to listen to everything. I wanted to hear every word. And I, I, I loved when they described the clothes and I could see all this in front of me. I mean, it was it was wonderful. <laughs> Absolutely wonderful. And... Um, so I, I was the one in the room, last one in the room. I listened to to the very end. The rest of the family dropped off, but it was a it was a magic moment. I can see it in front of me right now. My old, you know, home, that living room, the 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 radio, and yes, of course, everybody had to be quiet <laughs> whilst we listened to the song. It was a big, big moment in the the Noran family. Now, if I'm guessing my maths correct, which I think I am, you would have been 11 when you were listening yeah. to Eurovision on the radio then. So little yeah. would little would you have known that I think 23 years later, you would be the person describing the Eurovision Song Contest on the radio yourself. So before we get to, to the rest of what we're going to talk about on this episode, how did it come about, Carolina? How did you become... Sweden's Eurovision commentator for Swedish radio. <laughs> it was quite fun. Um, I had started working here up at the Na National Radio. Uh, it's like BBC, Sveriges Radio. And I think they, you know, um, they thought I was cool. Uh, 
Uh, that's their opinion, not my opinion. And they thought that Melodifestivalen Eurovision wasn't so cool because this was uh, 1999. Uh, and the, this Festival in Sweden hadn't really had its comeback as it is now when it's big and everybody's talking about it. Melodifestivalen was going downwards, <laughs> so to speak. And uh, my boss came into my room and she said, I remember it, she said exactly like this. It was, Carolina, I have a question for you and I understand if you think it sounds boring (laughs) and you don't want to do it. But still, I would like to ask you. And then she asked me if I wanted to to broadcast Melody Festival and do the commentary. And I got so shocked because... You know, this long love story I had with the competition, and I so I, I, I couldn't answer first. And I remember she almost, she, it went so many seconds, she almost uh, said, uh, you know, oh, you don't want to. And I started screaming, oh, yes! You know, it's like, woo! I want to! I want to! I was so happy. And and she, uh, she looked so shocked from my reaction. So I, I, <laughs> I saw that she didn't quite understand first. Is she happy? Is she pulling my leg or something? And then it's like, oh, you know, and I, I remember I, I called my mother and my father and every person I knew and I just uh, told them this and it was, yeah, it was a very big moment for me and my family as well. So it was uh, a dream come true, a dream come true, absolutely. And the dream became better because just... Uh, one or two years later, they started working with the Melody Festival and to make it bigger, to make it more popular. So when I started, it was, you know, not so popular, not so big, absolutely not cool. And then suddenly it became the hottest thing <laughs> in Sweden for a while. And and everybody loved it again. So I, I was also on that journey from, you know, <laughs> the bottom back uh, up again. It was very nice. And also, it feels good as a Eurovision fan to have started this when Melody Festival wasn't so very cool, just to show that I love it. It's not just because I want to be, you know, where it happens or something when it's in or trendy. Uh, and I don't know if it's actually trendy, but everybody in Sweden follows Melody Festival in some way. Now, Carolina, we move on to the next question, which maybe it is 99, but maybe it's not. Because the next question, and you will have so many to choose from, what was your, or what is your favourite Eurovision year? (laughs) Well, it's a very, very difficult uh, question to answer. If you look upon my... uh... Swedish part of me, of course, it's 99, uh, Sweden's first victory and every victory for Sweden. But then there are <laughs> other years that can be quite special. And uh, one of those years is in Düsseldorf, in Düsseldorf, uh, 2011 in Düsseldorf. And uh, the wires, um, the connection to all. Uh, both television and radio goes down during the live broadcast in Düsseldorf. And uh, this should not happen during a live broadcast. So the only thing that you can hear in the radio or in television all over Europe is the sound from this, uh, 
from the show, but not from the commentaries, because the commentators both uh, don't uh, have any contact uh, with the radio stations. Was this in one of the semi-finals, Karen? Yes, the first, the first semi-final, exactly. And it was so interesting to see how everybody reacted <laughs> to this. Uh, I remember I had this engineer who he was crawling on the floor. He had to take up your legs every time when he crawled by and he just said, everything will be okay, everything will be okay. And it was so not okay <laughs> because nobody could do their commentary. And uh, I remember the, the, the Spanish commentator, he was uh, he, he tried to scream really loud, but nothing worked. And the Baltic commentators, I think they took out some booze, you know, <laughs> left their boots and, and went out, took a smoke and just, ah, let's see what happens. And the, the British were quite polite. You know, it was so fun to see <laughs> all the different countries, how they handled it. And I remember that I, I just telephoned back to Sweden all the time and they put on the telephone out in the radio and it went down and it was chaos and it was absolutely crazy but it was a very very special moment and these uh, very very nervous german engineers <laughs> crawling around all over the place and that's that's a very good experience for you as a commentator to to be able to see how you react in a moment of crisis. And therefore, uh, I was thinking after Dusseldorf, everything can happen. And I can always think it can't be worse than it was in Dusseldorf anyway. So that's one thing really memorable. And I would, can I mention another one? Uh, is that okay? You uh, may, of I... course. Yeah, you may. Yeah. And, and also, Carolina, remember... Another question that we're going to get to is your most memorable moment. So maybe you want to save one for that. Maybe you want to do another year yeah, now. It's up to you. I will save it. I will save it then for that question. But I would say Dusseldorf this time because it was so surprising, first of all, because we had been on tour, you know, in in the eastern of Europe uh, for many years. And then suddenly when it was uh, German and you thought that, oh, they are so technical, (laughs) there would be no problems (laughs) during this broadcast. And everything went absolutely berserk. And I remember, because I called all the time back to the radio on my own cell phone, and I, I started thinking after a couple of hours, Will I pay this bill? <laughs> will I do that? No, I, they, they can listen to the radio. I will tell them that it's my phone. <laughs> I'm talking, you know. It was like a oh, really, really weird moment. But um, I don't remember so much more than the engineers, you know, crawling on the floor behind my, <laughs> under my legs. And I was sitting up with my legs and, and I was absolutely chaos. But it's quite fun because the most boring events are when everything goes quite okay, I must say. I think I love chaos. Uh, not, not in a bad way. It shouldn't be terrorist or dangerous dangerous things. That's awful. But <laughs> a little bit of chaos is a good spice to the Eurovision, I would like to say. I remember we spoke to, I spoke to uh, Peter Urban just before Liverpool uh, for a special podcast we did here on the Eurotrip about his life and career because I know Liverpool was his his last contest and he was saying as the German commentator in Düsseldorf he was saying he was just he was just so embarrassed by the whole thing 
he, he, <laughs> sa- he said the same thing that you did. You know, he said that we've been to all these other countries, all these other places, and finally we do Eurovision in Germany again, and it all goes wrong. I just remember him saying how embarrassed he was about the whole thing. <laughs> well, that's a typical uh, the German way to react. You shouldn't be embarrassed. It was great. <laughs> it was, I mean, in a live broadcast, I th- I, I, being a part of it, <laughs> it's, well, of course, it was very, very sweaty for us commentators, but it was... A memorable moment and I, I, everybody was talking about it and the listeners, I mean, it was, <laughs> and it, ah, it was, it was very good of him to say that he was embarrassed, but he shouldn't be, he shouldn't absolutely not be embarrassed about that. Then afterwards, everything went prima. I already asked you for your favorite Eurovision year. The next thing that I'm going to ask you about is your favorite Eurovision moment. So what is it for you? Well, let's go back to the yellow and the blue. And this is not the Swedish flag this time. <laughs> uh, no, I must actually say, um, well, Kalush Orchestra for Ukraine uh, went on stage during the first semi-final in Turin. And they just walked up on stage and the whole audience in the arena just stood up stood up and applauded and not you know the applause that are wow but just this supportive uh, thing you know like it's you know quite a applause like that And it was a very special moment uh, because in the arena, I think also this is a very happy competition, a very glamorous competition. And suddenly it was like you were sitting in there safe and sound, you know, in the warmth of the Eurovision family and realizing out there is a world in war, at war. And the support that the audience gave Kalush Orchestra on stage was one of those really memorable moments when you also start thinking, what is this competition about? What What is the, the meaning with the competition as well? Uh, so I would say that moment when the audience stood up and just, you know, with their hands uh, supported Kalush Orchestra. It was a very, very special moment. What was it like for you as a commentator commentating on Ukraine's win and Ukraine's journey in 2022? Because as you said, it it felt like it was far more than just a a music competition at that that point. Yes, uh, absolutely. It was much more than just a glamorous evening for the audience uh, all around Europe. And I think everybody felt that. It wasn't just in the arena. I think the audiences uh, at home and in front of the, the televisions or, or, or radio, wherever you follow this competition, it was a very special moment for Europe. But I would still like to say, because uh, Kalush uh, also um, uh, uh, had the same reaction 
musically from some people like, for instance, Lordi with with their song in competition uh, 2006 when, when they said about Lordi, for instance, oh, they just won because they had their masks on. And I said, no, it's a really good song. You can't win this competition if you don't have a really good song. And I would like to say the same thing for Kalush Orchestra. Uh, no, they did not win the competition only because uh, they come from the Ukraine who has been attacked by another country. It was a good song. You can't win this competition if you don't have a good song. Then you can, of course, have things around the song that perhaps gives you uh, more uh, support from the audience. Uh, but even though if it hadn't been a war... In Europe at that time, Kalush, okay, perhaps they, sh- they wouldn't have won, but they would absolutely still have been top three. That I would really like to say. Thank you for supporting Ukraine. Talking of. of- Good songs and great songs. And while we're talking about most memorable moments for you at the competition, of the four Swedish victories that you have described at the contest since you've had the role as as the commentator for Swedish radio, is there one that is the most memorable for you? One that is the most special? Oh, (laughs) it's like... Pick one of your kids. Who do you love the most? Uh, no, but I must say, I think uh, Lurian 2012 in Baku, Azerbaijan, because just like when the Ukraine, when Ukraine with Kalush won, uh, being a bit of a political statement. When Lurian won, it was almost a bit of a political statement because she had, during the week, she had dared to speak out for human rights and equality in the country. And she had actually almost... They, it had gone quite high up. They had discussed if Sweden were to be... Uh, not be allowed to, uh, how do you say, disqualified because she had, in a way, taken a political uh, view upon human rights in the country. So it was quite in behind the scenes during 2012. It was quite tense for the Swedes. Uh, and I think that Lurian handled it so professionally They had a special press conference when she got the questions about how uh, can she can she be political and say these things without being disqualified. And she handled it uh, in such a such a warm and professional way. And then she won the competition. So it was more than just, uh, you know, winning the competition that year. And. It was a very special moment, uh, and the best wins. Do you say that in English? Wins <laughs> in the Eurovision <laughs> are the ones that mean more than just a good song. Uh, I think uh, because the best hits they have a lot of emotion, a strong artist, and 
the good song, but it's so nice. It's and it's so nice when when they have more components around the hit than just you know good beat. Carolina, we're going to dash through the final three questions here on the contest in me, and this one can be relatively quick fire, but only if you know the answer because it is so difficult. What's your favourite Eurovision song, Carolina? <laughs> so it's one. Uh, it's actually from 2004. And uh, the artist who sings is Shelko Joksimovic. He participated for Serbia and Montenegro. And the song is Lane Moje. It's the absolutely most beautiful song I've ever heard. And yeah, it's the absolutely most beautiful song I've ever heard. It's it's it is a fantastic song. I think he was the runner-up, Serkos Yuksimovic in two thousand and four. So did come close to to winning the competition that year. But then went on to to represent Serbia again in twenty twelve and hosted the contest in, in two thousand and eight. But I think, as you said, that was such a moment as well for for a nation, Serbia and Montenegro at the time. Now now Serbia, who were taking Eurovision incredibly seriously at that point, and Jelko Yuksimovic their biggest pop star at the time. And such a good song. I, I remember when I heard it the first time. Uh, there are a few songs during your <laughs> lifetime when everything else just stops, you know. It's like, wow, what is that? And I, uh, I, and it was a, a run-through uh, with the Eurovision songs that year and, and suddenly that video came on and it was like, wow, what is that? It is so, so beautiful to put emotions into music i think it's a masterpiece now as somebody from the united kingdom i wish you had been saying more things just like that about many united kingdom eurovision entries down the years but i don't think you will have done so carolina the the next question and the penultimate question that we ask everybody how do the united kingdom return to the left hand side of the leaderboard of course with sam Ryder, they were there they finished in second place but then, of course, in 2023, we returned to the wrong side of the leaderboard towards the bottom. So how do we make sure we're not there in 2024? You must take it really seriously, like we do in Sweden. I can tell you, we during our year, we have some strange things we do. At Christmas, at three o'clock, every Swedish person sits behind their television and, uh, and watches Donald Duck three o'clock on Christmas Eve. That's true. And on midsummer, we dance around a pole and pretend we are frogs. Every Swede does that. And then we have Melody Festival six weeks during the year when everybody, even though half of the audience say they don't watch, they do, and they are very much into it and have a lot of opinion about it. And it's a very big event still here in Sweden. And I think that is <laughs> what you must do. You must take it seriously, because if you take it seriously, you can't just sit and decide who will sing or put it uh, as a small part of another show. Just, oh, and also we are going to decide who will uh, participate in the Eurovision. You have to, to make it big, because if you make it big, it will become big. It's like when you buy perfume. I mean, you want the perfume to be expensive to feel exclusive. <laughs> do you understand what I mean? So you have to do it. It must become more important. So, I mean, take follow up, Sam, now. I mean, and, and 
and have him you must you can do a statue of him or something somewhere you could worship and then you go sam did it and we can do it again uh, <laughs> it's important for us because i think also all countries that win this competition we become so happy and you feel so good it's so wonderful <laughs> so do it go into it put some money and effort and the best songwriters i mean it's out there go and take it i'm going to send this recording everything you've just said i'm going to send it to the bbc what you're what you're saying is we need a we need a uk wide melody festival and style tour yeah or or what suits you i mean here in sweden we like these big events because swedes are a bit shy a little bit cold we need a reason to gather around if it's christmas or if it's uh, midsummer or if it's melody festival we need something to, to talk about you need to have a lot of uh, performers that people can sit at home and wonder why did he wear that why did she do that you must make it uh, <laughs> make it big again <laughs> I remember that. That was somebody else who said that. I didn't mean it in that way. But you have to take it to another level. To another level. And and everybody was so happy, I can tell you, in in amongst the commentators when the UK almost won. Because it was, wow, they're back <laughs> in the competition. So you have Europe. You have us out there supporting you. Just give us a, a huge hit and a, a, a good perf- performer. And then we will meet again in the UK. Fingers crossed. That's 2024. You'll have those. You'll have that same reaction after the grand final in Malmo's finished. You commentators will all be talking. You'll be going, "Wasn't the UK entry great?" Fingers crossed. Anyway, <laughs> Carolina, the, Carolina, the last question. Then you are for this question, Martin Usterdal. So you you can remain Swedish, of course, as he is, but you get to make a change to the Eurovision Song Contest. So one thing. You can change anything, whatever you want. What would you change about Eurovision? Um, and that this this one thing I've been sp- talking to Martin Osterdal about as well. Uh, I think you should take away the big five. Let just the winner uh, be qualified directly to the final, and let everybody compete. Um, in in the same way through the semi-finals to the final that's one thing and here's another <laughs> i know they won't do they would do the quite opposite i would like the voting to be longer <laughs> i love the voting i love it uh, and when i was smaller it was like you could fall asleep for half an hour and wake up and it was still voting <laughs> For the Eurovision, I love that kind of program. It just goes on and on and on, and then finally, at the end of the night, you have a winner. And I've heard that here in Sweden, they will make the voting shorter, they will make the program shorter, everything much tighter, and perhaps it's good for this uh, audience, the, the actual TV or radio audience. But me as a person, I love the voting, so I. I would vote for a much longer voting in the Eurovision Song Contest. We want to go back to what it was like before, where we give every single point individually. <gasps> <laughs> we're still, we're still there at four in the morning. That's what you want. <laughs> yeah, it should be a big event. I mean, it's like New Year's Eve. Hello, you can be celebrating New Year's for a couple of hours. So let's celebrate Eurovision <laughs> as long as you can. 
And uh, and Carolina, I've got to pick you up on something. You said that, you know, you've been talking to Martin Ostasar about that change you want to make. What have you done? You dropped him a little text? You sent him an email? No, I did an interview and we, we spoke about things that should be changed uh, in the future. I, I, and I, I almost, I think I remember he said that it would be possible. But then I, I confronted him this year and I said, Martin... The big five, they're still in the competition. You didn't change it. And he said, no, I don't think we will. And I said, but Martin, you said to me in the last year you would. And he said, no, I don't think so. So it was uh, <laughs> end of a line there. Uh, somehow I've tried and I thought that it would become a big change, but uh, they seem to like the big five five idea although it's not quite fair <laughs> for the others so but i will tell him again when i see him the next time <laughs> i will say the big five martin <laughs> yeah remember me martin remember what i said <laughs> exactly exactly like that i would put it like that remember me martin the big five what's going on <laughs> and then i come back every year until he changes it <laughs> Carolina, I think for us, that is the perfect place to finish. So it has been a, a a brilliant time chatting through your history with Eurovision and all your brilliant memories. So thank you very much for joining us on The Contest and Me. And hopefully we'll get the chance to catch up in Malmo in, uh, in a few months' time. <laughs> yes, during the long, long voting at the end of the show. Uh, Carolina, thank you so much. And we'll speak to you soon. Goodbye. Bye. Bye. <laughs> In the market for investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry, Rebag is the answer. Rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity. Use Rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com to get 5% off your first purchase with code REBAGNEW. Shop today at Rebag.com. That's R-E-B-A-G.com. And use promo code REBAGNEW for 5% off your first purchase. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. If nobody was told what you were meant to do, if there weren't any rules, then we'd be living in a totally different format. A brand new podcast featuring rarely heard voices from across the UK and around the world. Bisexuality is not really understood because people have biphobic tendencies. And the second you mention bisexual, just their ears pick up. Contemporary conversations around bisexuality. Oh, well, you're still confused, right? No, I'm not confused. We are questioned so much more than people when they come out as straight or gay. It's intense pressure of like, am I sure? You're literally like monitoring yourself. Every episode will include a very personal story as we try to paint a real picture of bisexual Britain. This is Bisexual Brunch. Available now wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to The Eurotrip. Your favorite Eurovision podcast. When you aren't listening, find us on social media. 
at Eurotrip Podcast on Twitter and Instagram. Warming you up for the Eurovision Song Contest. Well, as promised then, Carolina is a bundle of joy. Honestly, I listened to this maybe two hours before we sat down to record. And I just had a smile on my face from the very beginning because she just exudes this positivity and great energy, doesn't she? She really does. I was lucky enough to chat to her for the BBC documentary I made before Eurovision 2023 about what's it like being a commentator at the Eurovision Song Contest. And after I had that conversation, I was like, I need to talk to Carolina on the Eurotrip because she is so much fun. That's exactly what you'll have just heard there. So many brilliant stories. I especially loved Dusseldorf 2011, all of the technical difficulties they had over there. That was fantastic to hear her talk through that. But also, you know, some other great stuff in there as well. Her favourite Eurovision song. I I categorically had Carolina down for yet another guest who was going to say Euphoria by Loreen. (laughs) And she didn't. She picked out an absolute classic from Serbia and Montenegro back in 2004. Yeah, this is the the great thing, isn't it? Where you just have this preconception, it's a Swede, they're going to come in with a Eurovision winner song from Sweden, but no. And also another one of those songs where, for me, I don't listen to it that often, so when she comes out with it, it just brings back that memory of hearing it. Not at the time, I didn't watch Eurovision at the time. But, you know, the song where I don't listen to it that often. It sort of unlocks memories and, and little gems like that. Really, really love it. But also, I just love that full circle moment she talked about how... There was the contest in the 70s, uh, 76, I think it was, where Sweden didn't broadcast it on TV. So the family sat around the radio and listened to the commentary on the radio and heard the songs. And then fast forward 23 years, and then she is that commentator. Yeah, isn't it amazing? So good. And also, it does mean that she's now in a position, as she mentioned, to hound Martin Ostadal. <laughs> I just like the idea that every time she sees him now, she's going to be like, Martin. And she said this, didn't she, in the chat? Martin, the big five. What's happening? Martin. Every time she sees Martin Osterdahl. I like to think that they bump into each other walking around Stockholm. Of course, Martin is a sweet. <laughs> so I like to think that they both just bump into each other in like, you know, that massive department store in the middle of Stockholm. They're, like, they're, they're browsing the, I don't know, the perfumes and the aftershaves. And Carolina just comes up behind Martin and she's like, Martin, the big five. What's happening? Martin. <laughs> well, maybe that's the thing now because he, he lives in, he live in Geneva now, won't he? Because he's, because of his job at the EBU. So maybe oh, it's, a, it's a, a relief for him to be away in Switzerland all the time where she can't just hound him day after day. <laughs> well, maybe when he pops back to see his relatives, that's when she makes an appointment to try and seek him out in the, in the city, maybe. I don't know. I'm sure she doesn't. I, in fact, I can clarify, she doesn't. This is, this is purely when she gets the chance to interview him. But a lovely time. I had a lot of fun. I hope you did as well. And please do let us know your thoughts because, yeah, hopefully you're going to have uh, enjoyed that as much as we did. And do especially let us know your thoughts on the the big five that, that Carolina mentioned, whether you would like to see them stay or whether you would like to see the big five popped back into the semi-finals, do let us know because I feel like that is going to probably be a, a big uh, a big topic of debate for, for a lot of you listening at home. We'd love to hear from you. We are at Eurotrip Podcast on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, Threads, maybe some more. I don't know. Uh, hello at eurotrippodcast.com on the email and you can read all of our exclusive stories as well on eurotrippodcast.com absolutely you can but yeah James that was it that was the penultimate episode of the contest in me for 2023 and we will be back next week for one final episode on the contest in me and then James that terrifyingly for me signals two things it means that as I said at the start of the podcast my wedding was very near and it also signals that we really 
we really will be starting our Eurovision 2024 build-up in not too long, will we? Yeah, indeed, yeah. We've got episodes of Rewind to come over the autumn and into into the start of winter. And then before we know it, it'll be January, it'll be national final season. It's it's coming to us like a freight train. Coming to us like a Swedish flat pack freight train. <laughs> so until until we're back with you. <laughs> Sorry, you just lost me with that. Until we're back with you. Yeah, go on. You were gonna say it. I'll let you finish. Go on. Yeah, until we're back with you in seven days' time for the last episode of the contest and me. Uh, don't forget to subscribe, leave us a review, and rate us five stars from me, James. Before you say goodbye, I see we're over 100, 100 reviews on Spotify. Thanks everyone for doing that. Keep them going. Yeah, okay, goodbye. Yeah, bye. See ya. <laughs> oh, sorry about that, everyone. Anyway, he said goodbye. I'm going to say the same as well. See you next week. Bye bye. <laughs> 